Beyond Belief Sobriety is a podcast and community for people who are seeking or who have found a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. Hello, thank you for taking some time to listen to this episode. I hope it's a good experience for you and that it helps to add a little something extra to your stockpile of recovery capital. In this episode, I spoke with Jared Callahan, who is a director and producer of independent films, who recently released a new documentary, A Clean Slate, which is about two friends in a residential rehab who decide to make a movie about addiction and recovery. But before we get started, I would like to take a moment to thank Soberlink for sponsoring our podcast. We need to talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace. Talking about sobriety and proving it to your employer can be so difficult. And our friends at Soberlink want to help. If you need a reliable way to present documented proof of sobriety to a boss or loved one, Soberlink can help. Soberlink is a high-tech portable breathalyzer system that uses facial recognition technology to verify identity, has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used, and sends results directly to your specified contacts, so there's no questioning whether or not you took the test and whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why Soberling's remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the gold standard. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career. Let Soberling help. Learn more about Soberlink and request an exclusive $50 off promo code by visiting Soberlink.com slash BBS. And now, episode 290, A Clean Slate. I begin by asking Jared what inspired him to make this film. I was uh, showing another feature documentary at the Atlanta Film Festival. And I think I was speaking on a panel about filmmaking. And afterwards, people come up and talk to you. And two guys came up to me and said, we've got a great idea for a film. And I was like, yeah, those never work out well, right? You go, I'm booked for the next three years. Thanks. And uh, over the course of the conversation, one of them was Cassidy. And we just agreed to go to coffee. And I thought it'd be 45 minutes and uh, just touch and base. And, you know, two and a half hours later, he told me his whole story. And it was amazing. And I really fell in love with Cassidy's heart. He's really genuine and he's just really passionate about filmmaking and really wanted to give it a go. So I agreed that I would come out and see the residential facility that they were living in, that he was living in. And again, I thought I was going to go for an hour and six and a half hours later, I saw everything they do, the multiple companies they run, uh, what they offer, the men, it was an all men's facility. Um, it, was, it was outrageous. It was really something. And they wanted to work on becoming filmmakers and starting a film company. I started working with them and we started talking through projects and what films could be. And we wrote a feature film script idea. And, you know, those are really hard to produce and and too much work. And they decided to make a short film. And as they did, I realized, Oh my goodness, one, this is going to take a lot of support, but two making films is hard enough, but telling a story in recovery is just a whole nother world. And so I kind of hedged my bets and thought, well, we'll film ourselves doing it. We'll film them doing it. And then slowly I become more and more involved in helping and, it's just a way to capture the craziness that ensues in the film. You're halfway in and wow, it just gets, it just becomes even more. So, so they're, they're making a film that's called on the fence, which, which is going to be about the first step of AA about someone who's making a decision, I guess, to whether or not they're going to get help. 
and you're filming them as they go through this process and also helping them make the film. It was a lot. Uh, I, by the end, uh, no spoilers, but by the end, I end up well, kind of becoming a character by the end. And that, that was not on purpose. I edited myself out as much as I could. But as we were there on set, there were times as things go poorly where I was kind of wearing two hats and I'm trying my best to help support them. But also, I wasn't doing it for them. They made a movie. And so you sink or swim at parts that get tough. And so also at the same time, I'm answering questions about the documentary and how to film that. So I will never do that again. It was a really tough and terrible couple of days of filming with them. But in the end, I just think it, it made for a really raw, they're really vulnerable. They were great subjects. And I feel like as a documentary filmmaker, a lot of my job is creating a safe environment where people that are from different walks of life or have different stories or I disagree. I disagree with things that they think. It's not my job to, to interject those things. I was trying to put a mirror up to who they are to show both them and the world kind of like a portal into this aspect, the season of their life. And it worked really well. They were really great. And the community was really great. And as you know, people who work in recovery circles, like they would laugh really hard and they would cry really hard. And I, I asked one time and Josh said, well, if we don't laugh, then we would cry every day. Like there's, it's kind of both sides of the same coin. And in that they are not pretending to be perfect. They are very real people, real with their things that they're great at and real with their flaws or the things that where they've been wounded or wounded others. And it makes for this really honest environment. And I just think they were ready to have people hear their stories. What I find so fascinating about this whole thing is the recovery that goes behind this. So I believe that it's important for a person in recovery to have some sort of purpose, that if you're going to be in recovery, you want to recover something. And in Cassidy's case, I think that you were showing like, film clips of film of movies that he made as he was growing up. Right. Yeah. And some of his own documentary footage of his own life. I mean, yeah. I think that's probably in the time of jackass that, that hit MTV and everybody who was under 20 realized, Oh, I can just hold a video camera and film myself being a stupid teenager. And so when we were uh, editing the film together, we realized it was going to be a sensitive, um, a sensitive handling of how to deal with the fact that they are in the throngs of, relapse and or current current struggles or lapses and when we asked uh cassidy found all he could find was one tape in his belongings and he didn't know what was on it and he gave it to us and when we got it converted we got 45 minutes of the most amazing it was unreal so we slowly edited it down to 15 minutes to 10 minutes to five minutes and i think in the film it's like 32 seconds or something but it was really wild to have a glimpse into the dark days for someone and they just happen to be holding a video camera the whole time. So this is a passion of his. Yeah. He's a filmmaker. That guy, he was editing me. Uh, he was emailing me today, a script to give edit notes on. He is not stopped when he is in a healthy spot. He channels all the things that are going on in his brain and his, in his heart. And he channels them into poems, song lyrics or scripts. So he's working as we talk right now on his next one. So this is something, I can't even remember what they call it, but this is something that smart recovery advocates is for some, somebody in recovery to want to maintain your, your, your sobriety or your recovery, whatever, is to have some sort of a creative interest or, or passion, you know, that kind of motivates you to want to stay sober. And, and this could be that for him. He, and so he's in treatment with his friend, Josh. 
And did Josh have a background with making movies, making film? Yeah, Josh attended film school uh, oh for, for a while. Yeah, Full Sail in Florida, I believe. He he loves it too. He's a camera person. He should he loves life when he is holding a camera and showing what he sees to the world. And so he has done different jobs throughout his career. But uh, for this project, he is in charge of the way the images come through the camera lens. Okay. So I guess I can, I I can talk about, I guess I I can do a little bit of a spoiler. I should say spoiler alert if you haven't seen the film, (laughs) but so, so um, Cassidy relapses while he, while he's making the film. And this is this this is so this is what I this is where where I'm at in the in the in the film is he relapses and it's really heartbreaking. So he has to leave the facility. He has to re- leave the rehab, and he's really wanting to be there with the guys making this making this movie. And he's really struggling out there on the outside. But it looks to me, from all intents, it looks to me like he's staying clean anyway. And anyway, he gets to come back. He, I, I, I don't you know. I actually, I don't know what happens at this point. So I guess, I guess I'll find out after, after I talk to you. You hope he comes back. That's, <laughs> that's I guess I do hope he comes back to make the film, but somehow I guess, I guess the film that they make that they're making um, on the fence, did that even get made? The short film on the fence is them attempting to make it as the end of the feature film that you will all hopefully watch clean slate. He, uh, it was, it was interesting. We filmed so much. Well, one, yeah. When he relapsed, it was heartbreaking. It was brutal. There, I I have people in my life who are, uh, in recovery. Uh, but when you have someone that you are that close to by that point, um, it was really, you take it personal, you know, like like things start going through your head. Like what could I have done better? How could I have helped? And that's pre me really understanding to view addiction as a disease. And people have asked what I hope people get out of this. Well, there's lots of things that you can get out of this film depending on where you come from. But a huge part of that is understanding it's not just uh, people made a bad decision. or You know, people make statements like that that are uninformed or or informed by partial uh, uh, stories that aren't the full truth. And so it was heartbreaking. And for me, I mean, I already brought a crew out there. We'd already filmed a ton. I thought that maybe, like, it was just done. And Cassidy let us continue to follow him. So yes, that's for, right. You were oh, filming man. him all through that. It was pretty wild. Yeah. And, and I talked with our director of photography today. They just did a screening uh, last night in San Diego and it went really well. And, and uh, Joel, all this, he's amazing. Uh, got to be on the panel to respond. Joel spent a ton of time in that, in that house. And I think he slept there sometimes. I mean, he just was with Cassidy. I think a lot of times they're just kind of friends. I mean, I know there's documentary ethics and how much time you spend with the people and, and keeping a professional relationship. So it was never not as filmmakers, but Joel was great. I mean, Cassie was really alone in that. And when you go from a place that, you know, 50, 60, 80, I don't know, a hundred guys there now, and you go to being by yourself and kind of sleeping in your car it is brutal. Um, so that's definitely a downward spiral. But when he let us keep filming and they kept trying to make the movie without him and trying to get him back on it, I realized that it could still be a film. And the thing, one of the things we cut out, which is really interesting is Cassidy tried to make a short film while he was out. So when we edited the film down, I think our first edit of the film was four hours long. And, you know, the film that we released is an hour and a half or so. Um, There was a whole storyline where he wrote a script. He tried to borrow a camera and get his parents to act in the script and kind of fell apart because they were great to have us film the film, but they didn't want, they're not actors. They want to act in a story about his own current happening relapse and, 
uh, some of it was really amazing and it'd be great in an episodic thing. But if you're trying to put it in a one future film, it was something that we ended up cutting out. But it was interesting to see the way that even when Cassidy was at his lowest during the, the downward part of a spiral, he was using creativity to help bring him back to health. Well, I was so engrossed in the film that I forgot that there was even people filming him as he was doing that. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just totally into him being, being out, being away from his friends in rehab. That's and a I'm, huge compliment to a yeah, filmmaker. <laughs> I'm not even thinking that you're right there with him filming him <laughs> as, yeah. as he's going through that. Yeah, sometimes I think we've asked my next question about, you know, do you, do you, did you record everything and then figure it out? Or do you ever take time where you put the camera down? And I think that those are different documentary ethics and filmmaking styles. And I think that in all, I, I've worked as a feature filmmaker now for 10 years. And I have a body of work that's amassed between short and feature films. And I can look back at it and, and realize that in some moments on every project, I've put the camera down on purpose. Because it's relational. Filming's relational. And them trusting me. It's not just that I filmed everything and put a camera in their face and then made a decision later to cut it out. It's that also while I'm there, I'm being sensitive to the relationship and them and the story that we're going to tell and the whole thing that we're building. So there are a couple of times where I put the camera down. And in that, although that scene that maybe I could have captured one or two would have added to this film, I think in the final project, a trust was built or strengthened that then allowed the film to be what it is now, which is better because there were moments then where I could hold the camera and the trust was built or stronger. And then there were things captured that otherwise might not have even, I wouldn't even have the, the privilege to film in the first place. So yeah, that, that was really dark and tough to be in someone's life. And also in that, I realized we've, we've pitched the film while we were editing it to some really famous people, people who you and I have both seen many of their movies. And uh, like for some of them, the response was, oh, this is very personal to us. We'd like to make the story, but we'd like it to be doctors in white coats explaining the science. And it's just, could we make your movie that? And our answer by the end is like, no, in the world of recovery stories to tell, there are thousands, tens of thousands. The corner that we found is to humanize the subjects. We don't need them to go visit doctors and try and fix them, right? Like we, that's, that's a different tact and not the story. Our story was maybe if you journey with them, you can add empathy to your life because you can see from their own experiences and their own words, what it's like to be them and what it's like for them to be daily, hourly, minutely uh, working on being healthy and, and staying sober. Oh yeah. When I yeah. was watching this, I was picking up on things that um, would help, I guess, the public learn more about just the complexity of being addicted and trying to get off of drugs. First of all, um, the law. <laughs> they get arrested. We get arrested and get thrown in jail. And I think Josh was given the, opp the opportunity of either going to the rehab where he's at or going to prison. Ten and, years. Yeah, yeah. So he ended up in he ended up in the rehab. So you had you, you you get you get you get that and you get it from their own they're telling the story. They're telling about the these things that happened to them and why they got arrested, what they got arrested for. You get to see the homes that they're living in, the 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 environment that they're living in. Um so I think that I think that seeing it from that that perspective is is a lot more valuable than just having a guy in a white coat talking about addiction and what happens to your brain and stuff. I mean, those that's useful information, but 
that human part of connecting with the with the people and what they're going through is really helpful. Yeah, you said it perfectly. Uh, it was an honor to get to be in those in those those places that we got to hold the camera, and it worked well to the point where when we were doing test screenings of our film while it was still being shaped, uh, we did a test screening in San Diego, and a woman came up to me, probably middle aged, and said, uh, "My brother uh, has been struggling with addiction and mental health, and for the last ten years, he's been cut out of my family." And I realized by watching this what's going on in his head that I didn't understand before. I realized that I need to forgive my brother and I'm excited to show clean slate to my parents because I think we could work on reconciling our family. And I was just, I was just like, okay, like I'm just crying. So you liked it? Like I, how do you ingest like all that people are going through? But then like for audience members in different ways, it holds a mirror back up to what you've been through and you, you, you feel seen it's not exactly you, but you feel seen by the things that many uh, people that we've talked to have been through. And then they're here and they're presented so naturally and real and raw and not through like a sympathetic lens. It's just a very real telling of what's going on. And I think that is a real gift. It's been a real gift to Josh and Cassidy and the people related to them, friends with them, the people who have seen it and people who have no idea who they are really edified by the way Clean Slate handles the subject by handling our subjects with, with grace. Right. And you did, and you did, did include that, um, Cassidy realized, uh, that he also has mental health issues, you know, and that goes hand in hand with addiction a lot of the times. And it's interesting that you were contacted by a family member and it's really difficult for a family member of someone who is struggling with addiction or mental health. And I happen, so I happen to be in both sides. I've, I've been a, person in addiction to alcohol who had a family that was dealing with me (laughs) and my craziness. But then I also have a brother with schizoaffective disorder who's out on the streets and have had struggles trying to help him. And the, the two, the two um, situations, whether you're just an addict or a person with mental health issues, it's so difficult as a family person, as a family member to, to try to help that person. And the laws that we have on the books don't make it any easier. It's yeah. like these people end up in jail. Yeah. Both, both mental health and addiction both become uh, kind of the downward, a real weight that entrenches you in the vicious cycle. And to watch Cassidy realize that, I think one of the really sad parts is sometimes they're so uh, inextricably tied that the medication that sometimes helps Cassidy the most with his mental health is also the medications that he's addicted to. Oh, wow. And so how do you ever expect to exist? I'm speaking more than just Cassidy. How can anyone exist when the medication that can help them find stability or balance is also the thing that enslaves oh my gosh, them yeah. addiction and the behaviors that you've experienced? It's brutal. So yeah, the laws and them start, some starting to change. And I'm always kind of aware and trying from a outsider perspective, see like, how they're changing and how things are being used and treated, but it is a large entrenched perspective by uh, America uh, about what it is and why it is. And, and it's not all wonderfully informed and it doesn't seem like the laws can change overnight to get to a place where we could stop criminalizing people who need a doctor and who need a community, you know, and it is a, it is a long, a long process, but a multifaceted approach. And that's why I really appreciate the recovery communities in the, that we've experienced in the way they value community and the way they value a multi-pronged uh, system. It's not just one thing's going to solve anything. There's no golden ticket. 
There's no Calvary coming. You're not just all of a sudden there. They changed our language from a road to recovery to the road of recovery because they said we're not we're not we're not going anywhere. There's no there's no final day where we check it off and we go. Guess what? I'm no longer addicted. He said we could be 25 years sober and I would still be treating it like I need to respect today. And so that was a good shift for us to realize like, oh, this is a long-term forever thing. Yeah, it is. It's a process of change where we just try to become the best person that we could possibly be. And in doing that helps us stay clean, clean and sober. Um, when you're making this film, I guess you're, you're, you're wanting to tell a story. Are you also trying to educate people? And is there like some intentionality in the, in thought that goes into the scenes that you, that you put out on the film? Yeah, we, we were careful. Like there were just, someone wanted to put more statistics in it or to break it up with, with facts. And we, we put one at the beginning of the movie just to give a little context. Right. But in the end, like letting you really take as many barriers as a, a way that could keep you from, like you said, feeling like you're just there in the room. Like the camera goes away, the camera people go away. I dissolve into you were there with them. And by the end, it keeps going. You will just feel like a fly on the wall to this story. That's the best thing I could do as a filmmaker. Or at least there are other kinds of films and I could try and do other ones where my voice is louder or there's a narrator or there's more statistics or graphs. But for this film, the best way, and I've watched a lot of those, the best way for this film was to just say, these are the guys, this is the reality in this time. We hope things change, but for them, this is your community. These are your neighbors. These are the people who are your family and your neighbors. And so what does it mean to be, like you said, the best version of yourself today in those situations? So, yeah, I'm proud of the way this one turned out. And again, I'm looking back at the things I've made. Um, I, I very much have a style I'm learning. Like I just want to be with people. And I think it's because I'm learning. I'm going to be with people because I want to be shaped. I want to be changed. I want to grow. I want to learn. And so when I do it with a video camera, I kind of get to invite you along with me uh, on a journey that I've been through in a really deep way, but you get to experience an hour and a half version of things that have really changed my life. Is Did you make another movie about addiction or is this the first one? This is the first one. I helped finish the short film. And then we are now taking these ideas and doing a podcast pitch at a really high level, which is really cool. There's some fun ideas that I can't talk about yet, but we are, we are working through some creative ways to uh, blend the worlds that are sometimes discreet. You know, they condense them down to like, self-help or you know but like something that uh helps people better themselves combined with some really good storytelling that does that so it's not just me uh doing a podcast as many have been done about talking with specialists or doctors it's no what if i write some characters that are going some through some stuff that provide the audience access to what's going on oh that, that that'd be that's fantastic i'm excited i'm excited about it <laughs> yeah i'm excited about that, that part i love podcasting and podcasting is a an, an incredible vehicle for connecting with people and most of the podcasts that have to do with recovery have like communities built up around them you know and you know in addition to the podcast we do like a live stream on saturdays you know which is a lot of fun you just just like it's just really cool it's just a neat way of connecting with people um so when when I don't know. You don't. You can't talk about it too much. But no, is ask your, anything you want. If I can't tell you, okay. I, I don't want to, yeah. So, is your podcast? Is it going to be like recovery related, or is it going to just be any kind of story? Uh, it ends up being kind of set in the world of a residential recovery facility, where you're getting to know the different characters, and hopefully, it would become something that where there could be seasons of it. I mean, you'd become invested, and well, that's the recovery world. People can disappear, and a new person can show up any day. 
right? So that's pretty good for writing. <laughs> um, but through it, the, the pitch kind of uh, hinges on the 12 steps and not that 12 different characters are going through each of the different 12 steps, but using that as a framework by which to enter why people are in this place. And that's what we learned. Like you said, Josh was mandated. Josh had to be there. If he didn't finish the 18 months, you'd go to prison. But there are also people who choose to come because if they they have nowhere else to go and if they don't get healthy here, they lose you know their family or other things. So um, there are people who want to be there to get healthy and there are people who are just serving their time and counting the days. And that is a really unique dynamic uh, to set a narrative story in. Yes, it is. That sounds so, that sounds incredibly interesting. And people can change too. They can go from, from just, I I don't, I'm not taking this seriously to going to where, you know, I've, I've, something's happened here. I've made a shift here. I really want to change. Yeah. In Clean Slate, the short film that they write on the fence kind of does that. I mean, you, you kind of watch a guy go, is trying to go from step zero to one. And I think that's a great description because that's so many people is, do I have a problem? Other people see that you have a problem, but you don't, yeah, you don't see it yet. And I think that that kind of the main character, Pete, kind of Pete kind of became who I have in this uh, podcast as well as like, how do I stretch it out and show you the levels that are going on in a person just so that they could get themselves to where they could say, I'll take the first step, or I'm willing to try to take the first step especially as things are going wrong uh, in the narr- in the narrative. It, it doesn't get easier for them right at the end. You know, a lot of people hit their low moments and it is a, it's us watching a low moment happen and watching a person decide, do I run? Uh, am I going to get murdered by an, an avenged, you know, person in, in this? Uh, he doesn't make friends in the new facility. There's a sheriff, uh, is law going to come get me? It's just, it's the things that are very real that people deal with and they just say I'm like, they're no big deal. Like there's a line that we put in the trailer in Clean Slate. I don't know if you've hit it yet, but Josh is saying, uh, "Yeah, you know, I, I I was dead for about eight minutes." And the guy in the the guy in the car behind him says, "Yeah, well, I was shot and I was dead for ten. And it was just like, "Did you hear yourselves?" Like they just that's casual conversation to these guys, but that's how they relate to each other. It's, it's a wild wild ride that got them to this point. I, I love movies, and I love I love movies about about addiction too. And and we have used that on our podcast, like I'll. We'll um we'll watch a movie and talk about it, and and sometimes on the live stream have other people talk about it and what we can learn from it. I, I'm going to finish watching your film. I'm gonna, I'm going to suggest this film for for <laughs> to, to, to do something like that because I I think it's I just think it's that good just from what I've watched what I've seen so far and how amazing it that today is the day that it came out. But you can watch it. I like I got mine on Prime. It's on Apple TV. It's on Tubi. It's on Google Play. It's on YouTube TV. Um, hoopla! I'm yeah. reading. I can't. My eyes. Oh, aren't good. Dead. I was gonna say you got this nailed, John. <laughs> I'm, re- <Yeah. laughs> I'm reading. I'm reading, and my eyes are failing me on this I, no, one. You, you did it. Those. If you can. If you. Everybody, I think, has probably heard of uh, Apple, Amazon, yes. Google, or YouTube. If so you've got it there, covered. you've got it everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's most of the world. Yeah, we're we're pretty covered. That's pretty good. Yeah. So you have done a lot of work too. You've you've got a lot of films out there. I'm just kind of look, looking through your website. Um, and what what got you personally interested in making film? I uh, filmed skateboarding while I was in high school. Uh, my brother was a skateboarder, but he was better than me. So we would eventually get to uh, uh, an obstacle or a stair, you know, 10 stairs. And I couldn't do anything, but he could still skate. So I picked up my family's camcorder and I just loved it. And by the end of high school, I had edited it all together into a 20-minute skate video that we sold to all our friends. Uh, that was pre-YouTube. And I just loved it. So I went to college and studied media communication uh, and production. 
and worked for 10 years in a job where I was mentoring teenagers, but was also making movies all the time and with my friends. And then in 2012, started filming my first feature film. And in 2014, made the jump to start our production company, which is called People People Media, People People Media Foundation. And we're based on a farm up here near Oakland, California. And we host artists to come stay and do artists in residence to stay, to work uh, on their work, to hike in the woods and to walk in the creek and to encourage each other. So it's trying to create a space where the regular busy life doesn't get you. And then also we've made a lot of movies. So now I've been doing that for, you know, since 2014 and it's, it's really fun life. I love it. People, people, is where people can find it. All our short films are listed and the other features are listed there too, but all the shorts are free. So you can see a lot of the work that we've done over the years. Well, cool. Yeah. Well, definitely link to that um, in the show notes when I post this episode. Is there anything that that I left out in this conversation as a person who's only seen half the movie that that you want to that I sh- that we should talk about? No, oh, the film is. Yeah, I love that you say it's good. I, when someone can watch the film or half a film and say I would I would tell a person that really matters. And for for how important art is to people, some of it is therapeutic. It's for yourself. It's personal. It's journaling. It's you know. It's writing. It's painting. Those are all wildly helpful. But the idea that these guys let us film them do that and, and then share it in this way is just something worth honoring. So my request is that, hey, people see the film. See Clean Slate, uh, cleanslatefilm.com. It's on peoplepeoplemedia.com. But see the film. And then if you know, don't just post it. But if you know someone who would like the film, send it to one person. Like Whether it's someone in your life that uh, we say everybody knows someone who's in recovery or someone who should be. Uh, you could just say, Hey, I saw this film. I think it's great. And then see if it stirs anything in anybody, because we know the, um, recovery communities are so good at word of mouth and sharing their lives and things that matter to them. So I hope we made something that matters to people. And then if, and as it does that you share it with people, because I think Josh and Cassidy are so edified and honored by this project. They really like it. And I think it just, it only adds weight and substance to what they've been through as it continues to help other people. Well, I know the listeners of this podcast are going to definitely check it out. Um, it's definitely something that rides right up our alley. So thank you very much for bringing this to us. Um, I really appreciate it. It's been great talking with you and best of luck and and everything that you do. Uh, I, I'm going to follow and check some of these other films out. Looks great. I appreciate it. Thank you, John, for your time. And then enjoy the second half of the film. I will. I hope, I hope it lives up it. and gets you. Feel free to... Uh, That's another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support our podcast with recurring monthly contributions, head on over to patreon.com slash beyondbeliefsobriety or become a member of our YouTube channel. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, then visit our website beyondbeliefsobriety.com and click on the donate button. I do appreciate your support. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety.